Tam and I, we had the chance to meet uh, back in 2009 at the ILC in Denver. And, uh, and they're just a great couple. Uh, I love Todd to death. He's become a great friend. Uh, he's a really good-hearted brother uh, who loves God and uh, certainly uh, loves the church. And I uh, also wanted to just say hi on behalf of uh, my wife, Tammy. Uh, if she was here, you would certainly uh, appreciate me and like me better. She is uh, definitely my better half, and uh, she could not be here today. Right now, she is uh, actually at a women's retreat in Asheville, North Carolina. All the churches uh, in the southeast region of the U.S., all the women, uh, anyway, had a women's retreat. And so there's about 800 women uh, right now that are worshiping up in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, so that is where she is today. But she told me to tell uh, everyone uh, hello and uh, give my best to, uh, to all the brothers and sisters here. You're such a, a wonderful, hospitable church. I've had the chance to be in Dallas uh, on three occasions. Uh, and every time I've been here, uh, I feel so uh, welcome and at home. And it's such a friendly church. You're such a blessing. So uh, thank you for having me here, and, uh, and I, I appreciate that you threw out uh, all the great things to plan this great picnic just for me, and, uh, and all the food. You, you know I like to eat. I look like I like to eat, so I'm very grateful to be here, and uh, I'm going to make sure that I am not long-winded uh, because I know that you are here to enjoy uh, some fellowship and some food, uh, as am I. Uh, I want to uh, share personally... Uh, about my wife and I, my family, and then have a word of encouragement for you. Uh, my wife, Tammy, uh, we met in high school uh, when I was 15 years old. Uh, she, I was a typical athlete. I played football, wrestling, and track. She was a cheerleader. Uh, she was older. I had an older woman in high school. Uh, she was a senior. I was a sophomore. And uh, the first time we went on a date, uh, I didn't have a driver's license. I asked her out and then asked her to come pick me up. And, uh, and I was walking out the house, and my father said, uh, do you have any money? And I go, I don't have any money. And he goes, you can't go on a date with no money. It never occurred to me uh, at that time, so I've grown uh, over the years. And so I, I do pay for dates, and I actually drive. So uh, we've been married uh, almost uh, 26 years uh, this December, and uh, she is my best friend, my partner. We do everything together. Um, most of my life, uh, we've been together. So uh, high school prom, uh, college stuff she came up to at West Point when I was there. So I don't really know much about being human in this world outside of her. And uh, we have three children that are 22, almost 21, and 18. And uh, all three are in college right now. Like right now. And so I, I tell people I'm an empty nester, but I'm a broke one. Uh, it's been killing us. So uh, I appreciate and uh, love my family. Uh, we were baptized in December of 1993. Uh, I was baptized December 1st. She was baptized December 8th, a week later. Uh, 11 months after being baptized, uh, the Saps, Steve and Kim, asked us to go into full-time ministry. And so uh, beginning January 1 of 1995, uh, we started working uh, in Atlanta. I was baptized in Atlanta. I've never been in another church. All of my ministry years and discipleship has all been in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we've had our share in, uh, of ups and downs, as I'm sure most people do and most churches do. Uh, but I love Atlanta. I love being there. love working there. Uh, in just a couple of months, I'll celebrate being in the ministry for 22 years. 
and, uh, and being a disciple for 23 uh, years, and so I, I'm loving every minute of it. Now, it hadn't always been great. Here's the personal part. 2004, I was ready to quit, and let me tell you why, because in 1995, uh, like a lot of people that dream about being in the ministry, I did not dream about being in the ministry. I had a great job. I had a great job. I made great money. I had a company car. I had expense account. I had a great salary and bonus and retirement. I was living large. It was two of us. We had three cars. I was enjoying life. I, was, I did not want to be in the full-time ministry, but I felt God might be calling me to do it. So we decided to uh, give it a year, see what God was going to do. And so that was almost 22 years ago. And, uh, but in between there, about 2003, 2004, I was ready to call it quits. In fact, I had already uh, applied and was working on going to business school uh, at Harvard. And I called a good friend of mine. I said, I need you to write me a reference letter so that I can get into Harvard. And my friend, who wasn't even a Christian at the time, gave me their best advice during that time. And he says, uh, do you feel called by God? He goes, as I understand calling, and he used the telephone thing, and he says, did God hang up on you? And I said, I'm not really sure. He says, well, you think about it a couple days, and you come back, and if you still want me to write that letter for you, I'll write that letter for you. And so uh, it didn't take me a couple of days. I went down to my office in my house, and I began to pray. I stayed up all night long, and I had an application for Harvard, and then I had an application for theology school. And at that night, uh, I made a decision uh, of what direction I was going to go in, and it changed really the trajectory of my life to this point. Uh, I want to share with you a word uh, in Acts chapter 1 that I read during that time that was uh, very helpful to me. Uh, this is uh, right after Jesus had, uh, had died and been resurrected and had come back and had shown himself to the disciples and proved that he was indeed alive. And he told them to go into Jerusalem and wait for him. And so he comes into Jerusalem, and the Bible says he spends about 40 days with them, and he's talking with them. And as he does that, he gives them this great vision to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the end of the world. And then he takes off. Verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be by witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back the same way You've seen him go into heaven. I was imagined being one of those disciples who had spent three and a half years with him. He had told them to go into Jerusalem and wait. That was a big deal because these were ordinary people. They didn't spend much time in Jerusalem. So they're waiting for him. He comes in, and he gives them this big vision for their life. He says, you are to, to be my witnesses right here in the city, the holy city of Jerusalem. That probably blew their minds. Then he says, nope, that's not it. And after you finish Jerusalem... 
the next step is go to Judea and Samaria. I want you to go to a place where you're not supposed to go. I want you to go to a place where there is division. I want you to go to a place where there is hatred and discord and people don't get along and you're half, the half-breed Jews that are over there. I want you to go there. That blew their mind. And he said, that's not all. And after you finish your day in Samaria, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Gave him this huge vision. And all of a sudden, after he gives him the vision, you think he might would walk with them or go with them. He does. He just floats away. And they are standing there, perhaps with their hands in their pocket, looking into the sky. This had never happened before. And Jesus is taken away before them, and they're just standing there with their hands in their pocket, just looking up. Two angels come by and say, what are you looking at? That same Jesus that left, he's going to come back the same way you saw him go. Why are you standing here? He gave you this big vision. Why are you standing around watching? Why are you standing around waiting for someone else to tell you to take the next step? Why are you standing around waiting on money? Why are you waiting on resources? Why are you waiting on the leadership to tell you what to do? Why are you waiting on the church to be different? Why are you waiting on your life to be different? Why are you waiting till you get older? Why are you waiting till your children become Christians? Why are you waiting for this? Why are you standing around looking into the sky? Are you going to spend the rest of your life as a disciple of Jesus standing around with your hands in your pocket waiting for Jesus to come back? Is that what the rest of your spiritual life is going to be? And I read that I said, no, that's not what I want for the rest of my life. I don't want to live out the rest of my life as a disciple of Jesus standing around with my hands in my pocket just waiting for him to return. Because my life as a disciple is not just about the far and beyond, but it's about the here and now. One of my favorite movies of all time is Shawshank Redemption. I try to use it in about every other sermon. Love this movie. There's one scene in the movie, there's a quote where it, it really speaks to what has been, my life has been like the t- last 10 years. And the movie stars Tim Robbins. He plays the character Andy Dufresne. He's falsely accused and convicted of murdering his wife, and so he's sent to prison, Shawshank Prison, a brutal prison. When he gets in prison, he meets a character named Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman. And so these two are very different, but they become friends. And there's this one scene where they're sitting out in the prison yard, and they're having this conversation. And Andy Dufresne is just kind of looking out into space. And he turns and looks at Red, and he says, Red, do you think they're going to ever let you out of here? And Red says, you know, one day when I got a gray beard and got some loose marbles going around in my brain. They'll, they'll let me out of here. And then Andy's still looking out in space and says, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I know where I'm going. I'm going to Zaywa Tadejo. That's where I'm going to do. And Red says, Zay what? He says, Zaywa Tadejo. It's a little place down in Mexico right off the Pacific Ocean. You know what they say about the Pacific Ocean? They say it has no memory. That's where I want to spend my life, in a warm place with no memory. I'll go out, and I'm going to get a hotel, and I'm going to find an old, worthless boat, and I'm going to fix it up, and I'm going to take my guest out fishing. And then Red looks at him and says, Zay Watanaya, huh? And then Andy says, you know what? In a place like that, I can use someone like you, someone who knows how to get things. 
because that's what Red did in prison. He could get things for you. And then Red looks at him and says, Zay Wataneo, he says, yeah, in here, he says, I'm in here, and I'm an institutionalized man. I've been here most of my life. Yeah, inside here, I can get you things. But, man, it, on the outside, I don't, I don't know what I could do. And Andy says, don't underestimate yourself. Red, don't underestimate yourself. I could use someone like, like you. And then Red turns around and goes, Zay Wataneho, the Pacific Ocean. Man, you about to scare me thinking about something that big. The Pacific Ocean, that's just so big. He says, Andy, you need to stop doing this to yourself. You need to stop talking like this. Zay Wataneho, it's way down there, and you're right here. And Andy comes back, and you can tell he's frustrated. He says, you're right. You're right. It is way down there, and I am right here. So I guess there's only one thing to do. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. And so you see in that scene, Andy is still looking out into space. He's inside this prison, yet he, he's, he's dreaming, and he has this vision. He, and you can see him almost imagining this place and the hotel. He's going to be an entrepreneur. He's going to open up a business. He's going to connect with people. He understands the climate. He can see it all. And my Bible tells me that God can do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine, right? And so he's imagining he's full of faith and hope and believing that there's something outside those walls. Now, Red, he's dying. He's an institutionalized man. He's been locked up so long he don't know what it means to be free. He has no clue what it means to be free. He has no clue what it means to have hope, to have dreams, to have vision, to be imaginative, to be curious about the world. And he's just resolved that he's going to live out the rest of his days behind the wall. He's so institutionalized that he's afraid to dream. Because if you dream and if you hope and if you imagine, there's always a chance that it won't happen. And so you see these two different people. And so for me, I made a decision that night, I'm going to get busy living. I'm going to get busy living. I'm going to do better as a disciple. I'm going to be better as a leader. And so I began to choose things. And I remember I, I sent that application into theology school. The very next day, someone called me and said, you know what, you shouldn't really accept this until you come visit. I came visit, sat in one class. I said, I'm coming here. Next week, I started the class. Three years, finished up the Master of Divinity. It was so transformative for me that I just kept going. I stayed and, and did, another, did a doctorate, three more years, six years of school, just did a doctorate. Then after that, they said, hey, we want to send you to life coaching school. I said, send me. They sent me. I did that. Then they sent me to the VA hospital to be a chaplain in the psychiatric intensive care unit for PTSD soldiers. I went and I did that. And then they said, we want you to go down and work with the urban ministry in downtown Atlanta. They're changing the community, a community development corporation in Atlanta mission. I went and did that, and I did that. Everywhere I was invited, I went. Anybody asked me, come somewhere, I said, yes, I went because I was so curious about the world and what God was choosing me to do. And for the first time, I said, you know what? I'm going to make a decision about my dreams, about my passions, about my vision that God wanted to do. And I just thought every day, how is God going to use me? This past year, over the last couple of months, I've, I went uh, to the REACH conference, met so many great-hearted disciples. I talked to people. I said, so what are you dreaming about in Asia? What are you thinking about in Africa? What are your hopes? What are your church going to be in 2020? Do you got a vision? 
Have you thought about it? What about your small group? What are you going to do next year? What's going to do in the next two years? Who's the next leader? What about your children? What are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? And the truth is I find so many people go, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. What are you going to be doing the next five years? I really don't know. I just want to be alive. I think I'm still going to be coming to church. You have no dream. You have no vision. And you know the very next chapter, Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he starts preaching, he preaches to them and he says, your old men are going to dream dreams. Your young men are going to see visions. Even on your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy on your servants. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And so the, the beginning of his sermon was a sermon before the repentance and baptism. It was a sermon to the early church about dreaming. And that group of people was so crazy that when people walked in, they go, they got to be drunk. He says, no, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. They're just fired up about having a vision for the world, a vision that God has placed in them and a dream. So I ask you this morning, do you have a dream? Do you have a vision? Has God placed something on your heart, a passion on your heart? Is there something that you are imagining that you've always wanted to do and you've never been able to do it? Are you thinking about some of those things? In my house, I have a vision board on my wall, and every morning I look at, I got pictures of all the stuff that I want to do in my lifetime. And I got this map, and every time I get to go somewhere, I, I put a, a sticker on it to show where I've been. And then I take another color, and I put it in the map, all the places in the world where I want to go. And I look at it, and I pray about it every morning. And so God this year has opened up doors. I spent almost three weeks in Africa this, uh, this past year. Had a chance to go to an African village, Sinfra, Pora Benafla, six hours out of Cote d'Ivoire, and went there, and they did this huge ceremony where they renamed me and adopted me into the tribe, gave me a new name, Zago Bijali. And I said, what's that mean? They said, warrior. I said, awesome. I've always wanted to be a warrior. And then they said, look, you are now a part of this African tribe family. I showed up. They had this huge banner that said, welcome, our U.S. children. Welcome home. And I walked into the village then I went to another place in Dalawa and preached there to a small church that we have in our fellowship. And they gave, did this big ceremony where they gave me this big statue and made me the tribal chief for the area. I'm a warrior in one village and go to another place. I'm a tribal chief here. And then I come there and the guy goes, I've been telling people you're coming all week long. So I've, I've invited all of Dalawa to church on Sunday, but they got to believe you're here. So I need you to go down to the radio station and do an interview. I said, Absolutely. I don't speak none of the language. They translated. It was incredible to see and meet people and do all those things. So I just keep dreaming and dreaming. And I go, what is next? Not only I have a vision board, I got a vision book. Because I think about what I want to do, I take it with me. I got a book I walk around, open up with all day long. What's God doing in my life? And I'm dreaming and I'm thinking and I'm imagining. I'm like Andy. I'm looking out, going, what can Bridgepoint Church be like in Atlanta? What can Atlanta be like? What can the world be like? And I'm thinking and praying about all those things. And there's a scripture in Habakkuk, I'll finish up here, in Habakkuk chapter 2, where he says, write down the revelation and make it plain and put it on tablets so that a herald may run with it. 
And so you got to have a vision that's plain, that's written down, a dream, that when you encounter people, you can tell them that dream. And what God does is God brings in the resources. Let me tell you what just happened as I finish up and we take communion here this morning. I went back this summer to teach at the seminary as an adjunct professor, and I was teaching a class on preaching. I walked in, and I finished teaching the class, and at the end there was a Q&A, and they were asking about what I was doing in my life. And I said, I'm glad you asked because I love sharing my dream. And I said, one thing I've always been to do, there's this doctorate program that I've been interested in. I started a couple years ago, and I didn't get a chance to finish. I finished this one. They said, well, you want to do another one? I said, yes, I want to do another one because this is a special project that I want to do. But with three kids in college, it would be totally unfair for me to pay any money for me to go back to school because I don't need it and take that money from my kids. Well, another professor was sitting in the class, and he heard that. Two weeks later, he called me. He says, Ben, can you meet me for coffee? I said, sure. So I show up, and he's a retired professor. He says, I heard you tell the class about your dream. Is that something that you want to do? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. He says, i tell you what I did. I talked to a friend of mine who's wealthy, and I asked him if he would pay for your doctorate program. And he said, yes, he would pay for your program. And I said, well, the admissions process has already taken place. All the applicants, everybody, they only accept 12 students. They've already accepted everybody. People have paid. you got to take the MAT to go there. I haven't taken a test or nothing. He says, I went to the admissions, and I talked to them, and I talked to the dean. He says, you don't have to worry about the $55 application. You don't have to worry about taking a test. You don't have to worry. You already accept it. So all you got to do is show up to class next Tuesday. See what happens when, when you have a clear vision and you're able, it's, you make it plain and you send it out there and God says, I'm going to find the resources for you to bring it in and answer that prayer. So we're going to take communion and we're going to break the bread and juice. And there's all parts of Jesus that we can reflect on. I want you to reflect on the Jesus that gave us a great vision. I want you to reflect on the Jesus who in John 10, 10 says, I came that you would have an abundant life, that you would have life to the full. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Let's not be like the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Let's not spend the rest of our spiritual lives, how long that may be, standing there and just looking up into the sky, waiting for him to return. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you uh, that we get to be in your holy sanctuary right now, in nature where you exist most. And we thank you that we get to be here as brothers and sisters, as part of the, the body of Christ in this spiritual family. We thank you for setting the example with your life and giving us this opportunity to, to break bread that represents your body, to drink juice that represents your blood. And to remember you and to reflect upon your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your vision for us. We're so grateful to be alive. And we pray, God, that we will honor you by living out our lives toward a big vision. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen.